This morning I want to talk a little bit about the, the primary subject matter because I wanted to explore that because I believe it's so necessary for us to do that. Um, and I want to talk about these, these options and explore them in a way that I didn't do in the book um, uh, for you today. Uh, I received a, um, a review. A man wrote me, and I've gotten uh, many people who write me and tell me their thoughts about the book and their interaction with it. And one uh, uh, guy wrote me, he wrote this. He said, the author gives no advice at all on surviving the Great Tribulation as the title leads you to believe. He brings up a lot of very good points, but states that fleeing or fighting back is futile and your only option is to just sit and wait for the Antichrist and his minions to decide to come and kill you. Just when you think he's going to give some advice, he goes off on a multi-page scriptural exposition that I'm sure students, uh, seminary students will appreciate, but not the average reader. I truly hope that Christians do not just sit back and passively let evil flourish. Another man said, I'm not, I am not impressed with the writer's process. He tried to explore many avenues of thought, but left me confused and without information to make my own decision on whether I want to fight, flight, or faith. Maybe a book for serious scholars, but not for average laymen. I find that those, and I, there are a lot, I have quite a few of those, um, they come from a certain region of the country, which I expect. Both of these individuals do, in fact, in what they write, portray an attitude that is completely at opposite with understanding the nature of what the Greek tribulation will involve. The idea that one will be able to fight his way out is so difficult for me personally to appreciate given the time I've spent actually studying this period of time. The Great Tribulation will be an intensely lawless time. It will be, for the average American right now, you blow a gasket just at the thought that that guy could write you a speeding ticket and not give you an opportunity to, I was on my way, it was important, I'm in a hurry, this is critical, nobody got hurt, why, why, why do you have to be a stick? Or the guy decides he's going to charge you an extra $25. Okay, you were speeding, but they're short on change down at the courthouse, so they tack on an extra 150 they help pay their bills. And you, 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 there's nothing you can do. You just got to pay. We, we, we get very upset. We'd be very mad. We, this is not justice. We, we want justice. We cannot understand what it will be like to be in a time where there is no justice. None. You'll have no recourse. You can't call anyone. You can't appeal. You can't get... You, there's nothing. I was riding down the um, I was riding down a country road in Kenya, 
and it was bumpity, bumpity, roughity, roughity for, you know, four hours. You just, the milkshake is, the milkshake is making. And we came up on this, this roadblock and they, they, they made us get out of the car. As an American, I, they were speaking Swahili. I didn't know a word they were saying. They took all of the luggage that we had out of the car and just opened it up and threw it all on the ground. Just emptied everything out on the ground and used his foot to move my stuff and, and all our stuff was in these suitcases. And the, the person that was, that was taking me to the next place where we were going to preach was trying to tell him, you know, we're Christian, blah, blah, blah. Paid no attention. They went through the luggage. They looked at passports. They finished. Got in their little truck and left. They left all my stuff strewn all over the ground. That which now all is now dirty. Need to be washed. They never explained why, what they were looking for. They never said, I'm sorry. And standing there as an American, I felt like, you know, this... I'm an American. You don't do that to an American. You, 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 you stop me in an air-conditioned building on a nice clean table, and you take my stuff out, and you sit it there very nicely, and then you, you put it back. But you don't do that. And I, I cannot tell you, for the rest of that trip, I was angry the whole time. Because I felt like I'd been violated and abused and I had no recourse. There's nothing I can do. Now you just imagine, take that and blow that up a thousand percent and you're going to, you're going to start getting the sense of how lawless this period is going to be. And for us to think that we can go kill somebody and no one's going to do anything, you really don't understand the nature of this period and what it's really going to be like. But there are people out there who believe what with a couple of good mazookas, uh, AK-47s, they're going to make it fine. Okay? Killing is going to be the order of the day, according to the, the third for seal, uh, according to Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 9 and 10, murder and killing is going to be the order of the day. Injustice will prevail. Now, the problem that I have is that there is no biblical basis upon which to build a case that you have the right to kill someone to try to save your life. That is the real problem. You don't, you don't have a, a book, chapter, and verse. You have lots of verses that will tell you that if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. If you're trying to save your life, you will lose your life. You have lots of those kind of verses. You don't have one that says, hey, listen, evil times demand tough responses. Lock up, board up, load up, shoot everything that moves. <coughs> Lock and load, baby. I, I, don't, I don't have it. I haven't found it. It may be there. I just haven't found it. So we're going to have to think more soberly about this thing. Now, I realize that you, like Many, many, many others. First time that we really had to be confronted with the idea that this is a reality. Um, 
like so many of us, we thought we were going to be gone. Didn't require any thought. We didn't put any thought into it. We're going to go. Somebody came along, put a pin in our balloon, and slow leak has caused us to have to be sober. The question, obviously, is what in the world are we going to do? The first thing I need you to know that I do not believe that you physically fighting fist to fist is a possibility. I don't see that as an option for you. One of the criteria that I would use is this. Everybody has to be able to do it. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are many of you sitting here today who would, your hand would, you'd start sweating and go to pieces if you even put a gun in your hand, let alone shoot somebody. You, you don't have the nerve. You, you don't, you know, you couldn't do it. Now, you know, if you, somebody breaking in your night and you wake up at two o'clock in the morning, you're nervous, you're scared and you do something, you might. But if you stand there, you got to think about it. Uh, you go to pieces. You, you wouldn't do well. You talk about ulcers, you'd have us. So therefore, I believe that we need to operate on a different venue and a different plan. For example, uh, there are two passages in the Revelation that give me great cause and pause. The first one is Revelation chapter 6. Verse 9 through 11, which primarily talks about the, the fifth seal. Now, in your Bible, uh, I'm going to, I use the ESV. Thank you. It says in chapter 6, verse 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be completed who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. This is a phenomenal passage in what it says, but it's even more phenomenal because of the implications. And what I've discovered in the last 15 years of writing on this subject and looking at Scripture, the number one problem that we have is that we don't do a good job of understanding the implications of what we're reading. Being able to stipulate or draw conclusions from what the text is telling us. Because that's really where the, the meat and where the rubber needs to hit the road. For example, in this, in this critical text, the writer, John, is telling us of the circumstances that uh, occur in conjunction with this fifth seal. He says that the seal chronologically follows uh, the theme of death. The fourth seal is accurately labeled death. Death takes over the earth. He has complete authority over a fourth of it 
to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, by wild beasts of the earth. The fifth seal then says, the conjunction or effect is that lots of souls are in heaven because of the word of God and their witness. Now, you need to know that the word slain in verse 9, that word slain is used both for Jesus and for Antichrist. It's the same word that describes the kind of death that happened to Jesus. It's the same word to describe the kind of death that is going to happen to Antichrist. And it's the same Greek word that's used to describe the kinds of death these witnesses and word warriors will suffer. It's a very general term, and it refers to dying in all kinds of ways. <clears throat> it is not the specific word that we'll look at a little later, but this refers to you being dying many different means in which the person died. And so all of these people are under the altars in heaven, are there as a result of being killed through various means because they held to the word of God and they supported or suborned witness for Jesus Christ. That, to me, that's very important because these people are put in a context that involves all the dead and all the dying or the dying that is limited to the period. It doesn't say, but the word can describe all martyrs who have ever died for the faith or those who died in the context of this right here. Then he says, very interestingly, they cry to God and ask him, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They are requesting God to pay back those who are responsible for their death whom they say are presently earth dwellers. That is, the earth dwellers are those who are alive on the earth right now. They are responsible, which puts this in the context of the final event. They want justice, and God is the one to whom they must appeal. Now that is very important. Because you will get no justice on this earth. There will be no justice for the people who are being killed on the earth. The only appeal for justice is to God himself in heaven. That tells me, ladies and gentlemen, that we are not going to have a court of law that is going to give us justice. You're not going to be able to say, this, this, these people are evil, wicked, burst in my house, kill my, kill my husband, kill my children, try to kill me. I shot them because they shot us. <coughs> Therefore, I should be let go. No. You kill the wicked, that's wrong. It is not wrong for the wicked to kill you. That's the nature and the context of what these people are going to be faced with he looked, Lord now are you going to pay these people back now how much longer are you going to allow 
this to go on to which he gives them their answer in verse 11 they were given white robes not to put on but to hold they were told to rest a little longer and the reason for the rest is the need for the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been now implication God God says to these people I am not going to avenge you yet in fact I'm not going to avenge you until I can avenge all and there are more people to die like you have and I can't start the vengeance until they're all finished. Now, question, what's the implication of that? There is a real implication that you have to keep clear in your mind in light of the fact that God says, okay, I'm not going to avenge right now. I've got to wait because there are other people who ought to be killed as you have been killed. Implication. It is the will of God that they are allowed to die. It is his will. He is allowing it. Now that, that has to kind of change your plan a little bit. He knows you're going to die. He is allowing it. In fact, he is not preventing it. It is his will. See, that throws a monkey wrench into your plan to fight back. You can't fight against what God is allowing to happen. The correct response is to, what did that guy say? He says, uh, your only option is to just sit back and wait for the Antichrist and his minions to decide to kill you. He's got it right. Because what they are being allowed to do is under the sovereign hand of God. Now, I want to tell you something, friend. I, you, you get your good drink of coffee about 9.30 at night and sit there and kind of meditate on that for a little while and you, you kind of get a little, get a little worried. Yeah, I don't know. Heaven, I don't know what's going on in heaven. Uh, mm, mm. I don't know. Did I sign up for this? <laughs> I didn't see that in the small writing in that contract. It must have been on the second page. God is actually going to allow this during the worst time in the history of the world when people are suffering such injustice. God is seated in heaven and he's looking at it and he's allowing it to go along on his plan and there is nothing you can do except sit back. What did he say? Only option is to just sit back and wait for any Christ and his minion to decide to kill you. You got it. Because God says, I, I have more. I have another number. I don't know what the number is, I don't know how big that number is, I don't know how many people he's talking about, but I do know this, those saints are faithful followers. He, the people slain were slain for the word of God and for the witness they bore. These are not sinners. These are faithful followers who God is allowing. 
most of us could probably put out, we, we could kind of get our arms around it if we were bad people, unfaithful Christians. You're saying these are the faithful ones. Wait, I thought if you were faithful, you're supposed to get deliverance. Be rich, live in a big house, and show the world that you're blessed by Jesus. Isn't that prosperity? You're supposed to be prosperous, living large. It looks like to me the more faithful you are, closer up in the front of the line you are to getting. Man, it don't work right. Something's out of order. Screwball. Not right. It seems to me, ladies and gentlemen, that this text tells me that there is going to be a certain number of people who are, in fact, going to be martyred for the cause and that there's nothing you can do. That's those who are on the Lord's side. Is fighting an option, therefore? I do not believe that it is because I think you will find yourself in opposition to what God is, in fact, allowing now, just in case um, you might feel like, well, it's just one verse. Uh, it, uh, maybe something else somewhere else. Uh, huh. Yeah, I didn't read that in the Greek. On several occasions, he speaks to this very issue, and he gives some in it. And he gives it in this kind of language that tends to be a little difficult to appreciate. But I believe the the language and the outcome is the same. He writes in chapter 14, he says, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Chapter 14, verse 12. You are going to have to endure. You are going to have to put up some fight, but your fighting is not to live. Your fighting is to be faithful. Your fighting is to hold on and not yield to the world that is around you. And even more startling verse is in chapter 20 verse 4 of the revelation it gets worse chapter 20 verse 4 John writes then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshipped a beast or his image and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Implication. What's the implication? Well, these people were beheaded. Now, it's interesting that the word used here for beheaded means that exclusively. It means those who were decapitated. It only refers to decapitation. It is never used in no place, either in history, for any kind of death other than decapitation. 
The historians say that this was, of course, the, capital, the method of capital punishment in late Rome that they preferred you be decapitated. Now, I want you to notice uh, what happens in this text. We are told that these individuals were those who were beheaded for the testimony of, Je for their testimony of Jesus. Same word for witness, for their witness of Jesus and for the word of God. The same reason in chapter 6, verse 9, 10, and 11, the same reason those people were killed, same reason these people are killed, but I want you to notice that the consequence of unyieldedness went up. In chapter 6, you were killed in many ways, probably, probably shooting, killing, stabbing, all kinds of things. But in chapter 20, the, the penalty for obstinance goes up. <clears throat> it's only one kind being beheaded. Specifically, we are told, <coughs> excuse me, specifically we are told that they would not take the mark. who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received this mark on their foreheads or their hands. So this contextually is clearly and unmistakably in the Great Tribulation. These people are killed during the Great Tribulation. Now, the fact that they are raised on or near the beginning of the millennium tells me that they were killed after the rapture because if they had been martyred before, they would have gone. There's no reason for them not to have been taken. The fact that they clearly denied or would not obey Antichrist and were decapitated as a result makes me believe, contextually, that these people had to take this stand after the rapture. And it makes sense to me. All of a sudden, Jesus appears in the air. All the people that he's been trying to kill are caught up in the air. And then all of a sudden, somebody's going to become a Christian after that? <laughs> That's going to be tough picking. <coughs> The reason I believe this, there are three reasons. <clears throat> Number one, because of the penalty is very severe, number one. Number two, because they immediately get the right to reign. These people go from being decapitated to resurrection and reigning. How long did they get to live as a believer? Not Probably not too long. How much work did they get to do for the kingdom? Not very much. You're talking about somewhere in the, in the process of maybe a year, year and a half. I don't know how long it'll be, but it's not going to be that long. They certainly didn't have 40 years to try it. And within a very short period of time, these people not only give their life, but as a result of it, they get the rain. Ultimate penalty, ultimate reward for this right. Now I want to ask you a question. 
If God is not allowing people born again after the rapture under the toughest conditions the elect will ever face, if he's not delivering them but allowing them to go to the stake and be beheaded, why should he allow you? You've had 40 years to prepare. See, it, there are too many incongruities. It doesn't make sense to me. If God was going to deliver anybody, I would think that he would deliver these people. Babies, we would say they're baby Christians. They haven't had time to learn. But here all of a sudden they are confronted with the worst time the world will ever know, and they have to stand up or shut up. They have to stand up, give their life, or they have to renounce, and they choose not to. They, they maintain the witness and they maintain the word of God, they won't take no, they're beheaded, and they win the instant right to reign. Now, it tells me that God is allowing his people to die because dying is not the worst thing that can happen to you. I know we want to fight, but we want to fight because we are Americans, not because we're Christians. We want to fight because it's the American way. We don't put up with injustice. But I'm telling you there's coming a time when injustice is the order of the day and we will have no remedy. What I want you to start thinking is to think like the Apostle Paul and other New Testament writers who understood, ladies and gentlemen, that to die for Christ is a privilege. It's a privilege. I don't see any other way to offset the problem because I realize that there are many, 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 many Christians who simply will not be able to fight. You won't be able to. I understand a big strapping 30-year-old man working down at the local pump and ply shop. He, he can fight. But Grandma, she's 77 years old. She, Grandma ain't in no shape to fight nobody. Her, her, her fighting days are down to fly swatters and that. that, that she's not going to be able to. My daughter's 10-year-old. Who, who can my 10-year-old daughter fight? All the believers locked up in prison when this period begins, they'll have no access to anything to fight with. The only group of people who would have even an option of being able to fight are a very select group of people who would be in the right place at the right time under the right context. But there are millions and millions and millions of Christians who would have no opportunity whatsoever, and those people would be slaughtered if the only way survival is possible is through personally fighting. That seems to me to be terribly unfair. And who knows, by the time this comes, our government may have passed laws where you won't even have access to a gun. Or they only want you to have those old single-shot, one-ball cannon, deer-shooting gun. That seemed to be what they wanted to have. A little gunpowder and a ball in there with Daniel Boone. I think there's a better option, ladies and gentlemen. I think it is that we must be people of faith. 
Death for Christ is an honor, and it always will be. The Apostle Paul writes in Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 21, verse 13. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus Christ. The, the word goes out that Paul, Paul needs to go up to Jerusalem. A prophet sends them to Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. It's not going to be a pleasant death. It's not going to be a morphine drip. Paul said, what are y'all doing? Weeping and waiting. You're breaking my heart. You, you, you're killing me. Paul says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. There's a verse worthy of memorizing. Let the will of God be done. The Apostle Paul understood that dying was not the worst thing that could happen to a believer, ladies and gentlemen. Being found unfaithful is. You need to get your mind, you need to wrap your mind around the concept or idea that at any cost, I want to be found faithful regardless of what I must face. Now, I understand what that means. That makes you nervous. It makes your mind go crazy. You start, your mind starts running all over the place, and you can't get no peace. And you do like a guy, uh, a guy called me. I don't remember who it was. Somebody called me and said, you know what? I'm not man enough for this. I, 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 no, I, I'm, I'm a sissy. I'm not ready for this. There's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with saying that. <coughs> well, maybe something wrong with saying I'm a sissy, but um, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Hey, if you're not ready, that's why you should you should be get, you should be getting ready. <coughs> we need to be thinking sober. We got to be sober people. If there's ever a time that we need to be sober sober anyway, this is it. But I can tell you right now, friend, we definitely need to be sober. The rules of the game have changed even in our own country. We can no longer depend on justice, particularly if you're Christian. So what are you to do? If fighting is not an option, I don't think you can kill enough. I don't think you have enough bullets to kill all the people who are going to be so evil, evil in their commitment to this cause. I don't think that you could survive. You might kill a few, but as soon as they realize that you're killing people, they're going to come to kill you. You're not going to be unnoticed. You cannot go unnoticed if you're going around killing the wicked. You will become target number one. Now, I do believe that there's a way to do it, but not by taking up physical arms. In Mark chapter 13, 
Mark chapter 13, verse 9, critical passage. Of course, this is in the context of the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred in relationship to the second temple. Mark chapter 13, verse 9, I think is critical because of the flavor that it gives distinct from Matthew. The Lord Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, be on your guard. Now, if you write in your Bible, you should underline, for they will. It's no, this is not open to possibility. Emphatic. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. Now, that to me is extremely critical. He told the disciples that they were going to be mistreated and beaten, but the purpose of God allowing it is what's important. To witness, he says, to bear witness before them. That's exactly what it says in Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 20. It says, for the witness that they maintain, the witness of God, the testimony of God, and for the word of God. You're going to have to give the witness, ladies and gentlemen, They will, you will, you will purpose to bear witness, to be a testimony before them, to be the reason they are condemned. Uh, in the book, God's Elect in the Great Tribulation, I, I talk about the fact that God says that he is, in fact, allowing you to be mistreated so that you become the, the indictment against the wicked. You are God's indictment. You give him the right to punish them to the degree that he is by what they, he is allowing them to do to you. You become a fulfillment and a part of God's outworking of his program. I want you to notice what it goes on to say in verse 10. It says, in the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations as a, as a witness against the nation. Not so that they would be saved, but as a witness against, you are the verdict against them. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand, but what you ought to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit can't be the restrainer, because he's still here, he's still working. He's still got business in you. Therefore, he says, now listen, when you come, don't be anxious. Don't be nervous. He says, don't let it, don't let the circumstance and the situation force you to lose your grip. Don't lose your bowels. He says the Holy Spirit is going to be there and he's going to give you what you need to say to confound them. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced that killing is not an option because of who you would have to kill. Notice what it says 
in verse eight, uh, verse 12. And brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Who are you fighting against? Your own family. Parents are being put to death by children. Children are putting their parents to death. Parents are putting children to death. In-law, mothers-in-laws are putting son-in-laws to death. The list is even more extensive in Matthew. Can you see who you're fighting? <coughs> the very people you're having to <coughs> pull the gun to, ladies and gentlemen, the very person that you may have to put the gun to is your own child. I don't know about you, but I, I, even in that moment, I don't think I could do that. Could you really kill your own son? Because he's, he's going to have you killed. They didn't say he killed you. They said he deliver, they deliver you to the people who will kill you. They're not killing. They're delivering you to the people who will put you to death. Could you really shoot your daughter? I don't think so. Don't think it's an option. I don't think God is calling us to that. What they're doing to us, they're doing because they do not understand, but we do. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who shoots the most bullets back at them will be delivered. No, sir. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. It doesn't mean sozo, does not mean spiritual deliverance. It means physical. You don't have to endure to be saved. You have to endure to be physically delivered. The word sozo here does not mean in a spiritual context to receive spiritual salvation. It means you will receive physical deliverance. Your route the physical deliverance is endurance. And endurance, ladies and gentlemen, is having the spiritual muscle, having the spiritual fortitude to look it square in the eye and not yield to the desire. The eye for eye and tooth for tooth. I do not believe that during this time that you will have to that, you, that God will set aside his word. I don't believe that. I believe it says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I believe that you, if you resist that they will not be able to bother you, but you're going to have to have the courage to stand on that word. You're going to have to have some guts. And I can only tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know you're just saying you got to be kidding. You got to be kidding. I'm going back to the other position. It's nicer. Or you're saying, well, at least I'll be dead. I'm, I'm going in. I'm, I'm going in. I think that there are lots of Christians who will want to kill themselves. They can't take, particularly Americans, we can't take it. <laughs> 
We can't take it. You need right now to make up your mind, ladies and gentlemen, today. Now, I don't, I'm, Roger is right, because we're not into sensationalism. I don't, I'm not trying to scare you, and I don't want you to walk out of here nervous and shaking. I don't want you to go and sit in your house and moving up to, you know, northern, northern, northern Wisconsin, you know, <clears throat> eating raw fish, um, you know, out of the stream. No, no. What I want you to do is bring your family down to Orlando to the Survival Institute. And we're trying to put together where you can learn how to walk by faith in the face of great opposition. You need to learn to live by faith. And you need to start learning now. You need to learn how to face wrong square head on and not lose your cool, not blow your stack and not demand that you have to have your right in your way because the time is coming when that will not happen. It just will not happen. down at the motor department of motor vehicles. <clears throat> I'm not surprised that more people are not killed down there. They open up a new one for us. They got, they got seating space in there for people to be seated for about 130 people. Now, when you walk in the door and you see that they got 130 places for people to sit, that automatically tells you that there's a problem. Because right? no public place ought to have to have that many seats for you to have to wait. So now that's already telling you something right now. They got 14 light-up bays. So you walk in the door, you walk up to this table, and this lady gives you a number. You, before you do anything, you got to get your number. And then you go sit and you wait until loudspeaker says, calls your number. Fourteen bays for people to sit to give you some service. I got there at 9 a.m. in the morning. I walked in, she gave me my number, went around and got my seat. There must have been at least, there was at least 60 people waiting. Two bays working. So I asked the lady, I see there are 14 bays. You only got two bays working. What's the problem? Well, budget cuts. So let me get this right. You got 14 bays. You don't have no money. You don't afford to hire two people to work 14 bays. You got 60 people in here waiting. 
And according to my little bill here, you're charging me more this year than you charged me last year. I'm paying more than I paid last year. I'm having to wait two hours longer than I had to wait last year to give you my money. I'm paying for the right to drive a car that I've already had to buy. You, I had to buy the car, buy the right to drive it, and now I'm having to buy another right another year to keep on driving it. It's more this year, but you only got two people working back then that day. Well, now, of course, she's looking at me like, oh, okay, here's one. You know, I see her hand going down on her desk, getting ready to push the red button just in case. <laughs> this guy's going to go nuts. Yeah, push that red button. And so since I, I, there's nothing you can do because you got, you're going to have to wait. And so I decide, okay, so I get my watch, my stopwatch, because i gotta got to do something. And I got my stopwatch, and I start my stopwatch to running. Because I'm going to figure out how long it's going to take me to finally get up to one of those windows. How long it's going to take for somebody else to come to work a window. And I particularly wanted to see how long the two at the window would be at the window. Well, see, I know that's some kind of federal law somewhere that they're going to have to have a 15-minute break somewhere. And So I've been waiting an hour, and sure enough, it's time for one of them to take their break. She gets up. She's gone. Now there's one person working. See, now I can see why people would get upset, hot and bothered, and go off, fly off the handle and start cussing and getting mad. And just, just, I can see why. I can see why. I can tell you all this, ladies and gentlemen, that if you multiply that a thousand percent, the spirit of injustice that we're going to have to face is going to be almost unbearable. You're going to have to learn how to live in a world where there is no justice for you. And for Americans, that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. It's already beginning for us Christians to some degree but no way near like it's going to be. When someone can walk in and point at your child, take her out, molest her, and abuse her right in your face, and there's absolutely nothing you can do. Or here your grandmother is on dialysis. It's time for her to be dialyzed. And they won't do it. Or you own high blood pressure, you have high blood pressure, you have to take that high blood pressure medicine. And they won't give you your medicine. Or you're in the hospital just having had a major surgery. And they decide they're going to turn the machines off and just let you lay there and suffer. The level of abuse and persecution will be unparalleled and there will be no remedy. And ladies and gentlemen, that's when you're going to have to depend on your God. You got to get ready. Now, it may not happen in our lifetime, it may not happen in my lifetime. It may be, I may be dead and gone, but I can tell you this, somebody's going to have to face it. 
some generation, even if you pre-trib and you believe that the church is going to be gone, you wrote a whole series on left behind saying a whole lot of folk going to be left behind. And then a whole number that no man can number are going to suddenly become Christian and are going to be killed. So either way you look at it, somebody is going to have to face an awful tough time on this earth. And I'm afraid that we're doing absolutely nothing to get people ready for this time. Nothing. As if it's going to be a cakewalk. It's not. It's going to be one of the worst periods the elect of God will ever notice. We must be ready. Fighting simply is not an option. Father, we are sober by the reality. It almost seems overwhelming. It was so much more pleasant to believe that, well, we won't be here. And how I would, Father, that that was true. But I simply cannot believe it based on what I believe your word to teach. And I realize, Father, that even as I look at this audience today, many men and women who have lived their lives to full, to suddenly be called upon to face an unparalleled season in their life would be a great, great undertaking. It is quite frightening and quite sobering. I pray, Father, that in some way we would get a grip on our emotions and that we would stand on your word. We have not been given a spirit of fear. But in your word, you have given us everything we need to stand firm, to be faithful regardless of what we are confronted with. I pray, therefore, that you'd help us, that over these next two days as we come to the reality of our possible future, that we will be like the Apostle Paul. The will of God be done. In Jesus' name. Amen.